This is a uh, this was pressed in 1807. This is 207 years old. This coin. It was made for a church in Scotland. It's made for a church. This is this is not money. This isn't currency. This is a communion token, which might be a very different thing for you. Now there was a day when churches only took communion a couple of times a year. And uh, if you were going to take communion on those very special days, you had to go through a process. You see, not, not just anyone could take communion. You had to prove that you were worthy of taking communion. So in the weeks before they would have the communion service, you would meet with the ministers in the church or you would meet with the elders and they would ask you a series of questions. They would ask you about your beliefs. They would ask you about your faith. They would ask you about your doctrine and your, and your practices and your understanding. And if you passed the examinations, you would be given a communion token. And when you would be seated to take communion, you would lay the token in the plate and you would be allowed to partake. That is the situation that Alexander Campbell found himself in in Glasgow, Scotland in 1809, two years after this token was pressed, when he was taking communion. He was 21 years old, and he had passed the test. And so he was sitting there in the church, or standing rather, holding his communion token, but his heart was someplace else. Because Campbell realized that if he had passed the test, if he had been considered worthy and given this coin, then that meant that someone else wasn't worthy of the body and the blood. That meant that someone else was not going to receive, that there was a a division between him and someone else, and he was not at peace with that. And so Campbell resolved to spend the day in prayer waiting for his turn to take communion. Now, they, they did it very differently back then. The table would actually seat about 12 people because that's what Jesus had with him at the, at the Lord's Supper. So you would wait in line all day to be seated with your group. There were 800 people who took communion that day. And Campbell stood there waiting his turn. And every time his table was called, he would give someone else his place and he would wait. And he waited and waited all day long into the evening until the last table was seated. Campbell had been praying that somehow he would resolve this conflict in his heart. And he sat there with the group, and as everyone just gently laid the coin in the plate, Campbell took his coin, threw it down, it made a loud clang, he stood up and walked out. And it's said that that was a defining moment for Alexander Campbell. And we would have to admit that it, is a defi- it was a defining moment for those of us who are part of what are known as the, the Restoration Movement churches. Campbell walked away a free man, no longer facing division, no longer facing religious oppression. And his goal from that point forward in his life was to break down the walls that separate Christians, that separate believers, to break down those walls and to see communion without barriers. So when we ask the question, why do we do it like that? And we ask that question of communion. We realize that we're, we're not just going to look at the biblical examples, the, the passages that teach about the Lord's Supper. We have to look at the history that brought us here, that brought us to, 
to this table, to brought us to, to the Lord's table. It is, it is the Lord's table, by the way. It's not my table. It's not your table. It doesn't belong to the elders. It's not the church's table. It is the Lord's table. All we do is prepare it. We neither welcome nor do we bar. It is open communion. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are welcome to take. Divisiveness at the table was not something that was new with, with Alexander Campbell. In fact, it, it goes way back. It's as old as the church in Corinth, if not even older than that. And we also shouldn't think that with one coin tossed in a plate with a resounding clang that that all the problems of divisiveness were solved. It's something that we need, to be, we need to continue to be aware of and we need to continue to guard against. Not just here at the table, but divisiveness is something we need to guard against here in our hearts as well. And as we understand the reason why we do this, why we take communion, what is the meaning behind it, and what is the promise that comes with it, as we understand the roles that we each play as we come together week after week for this remembrance. We need to understand the reality that this, this table is not a place for judgment. It's not about who's in. It's not about who's out. It's not about who belongs and who doesn't. It's not about who is good enough. And yet, if we're not careful, it can become that, exactly that. And those divisions aren't always expressed with a token that says you're in and this person else who doesn't have a token is, is out. Sometimes it's expressed with a, with a sideways glance. Sometimes it's expressed with a sneer. Sometimes it's expressed with one of those looks that says, can you believe who's here? Can you believe who's taking communion today? And that's, that's wrong. You guys know as well as I do, let's be completely honest, you guys know as well as I do that there have been times when you have come to the table and you have taken communion, and you have taken communion with other people in this church, but you would not have walked across the aisle to say hello to them. You would not have greeted them. You maybe wouldn't even want to claim that you know them. You realize there's a problem with that, right? right? That's clear? That's a problem? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 today, verses 17 through 34. We're going to make our way through this passage the way that Paul lays it out, because the way Paul lays it out, there was a problem in the church in Corinth, and so he begins by addressing that problem. And from the very beginning as we read this passage, we have to realize that something different was happening in Corinth than is what happens in our church when it comes time for communion, when we come to the Lord's table. They must have been doing something very different than having a little cracker and a little cup. The Lord's Supper in those days was served as part of, I guess you'd call it a potluck, really. It was, we do potlucks pretty good, you know. <clears throat> it was served as part of, a, part of a larger meal called a love feast or an agape feast. It was a meal that the church would share together. Everybody would bring something, and then in the middle of that feast in the middle of that meal they would stop just as jesus did on that night with his disciples they would stop and they would partake and they would remember the body they would remember the blood and they would take together but there was a problem in corinth there were rich people in the church who didn't have to work or didn't have to work as late as some of the poor people and the rich people would come first and they'd eat all the food and they'd drink all the 
drink, and they would get full, and apparently uh, they would get drunk. (laughs) And then when the poor people finally got off work, or when the slaves were finally allowed to leave their homes, their duties, and and come to church, they would come and they would find that the, the food was gone, but the fellowship was also gone as well. The unity was gone. Paul has absolutely nothing good to say about their practice, the way they practice the Lord's Supper. And I want you to hear that as he addresses the issue. Beginning there in verse 17, Paul says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What, what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. I remember as a young Christian reading this for the first time. I remember reading verse 21. For in, eating one of, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And, and I remember reading a passage that comes in about two paragraphs later where it talks about how you ought to wait for each other and, and eat together. And I, I heard that and I thought, wow, that's why we do it right at Kansas. At Kansas, we do it the right way. Because back then in the old church and continuing our practice today, we hold the, the bread together, right? We hold the bread and we wait and we take the bread together. And then we, hold, we used to hold the cup, and we had the little cup holders. We'd hold the cup, and we would take the cup together, and we all drank it together. We ate it together, and I thought, right there, 1 Corinthians 11, that's why we do it. We do it the right way. And every now and then, I'd go visit another church. I'd go down to see my girlfriend, Casey, go down to her church. They did it wrong. They didn't wait for each other. And I thought, haven't they read the Bible? Don't they know any better? They don't do it right at her church. Well, it took a while. I finally realized that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about a very different situation. But it points to a bigger problem that we sometimes have. Because the reality is we can do this right. We can do everything right. We can have the right kind of bread. We can have the right kind of juice. We can have the right kind of table. We can come around. We can read the right scriptures. We can say the right prayers. We can have the right blessings. And it's still not the Lord's Supper if it's not right in here. It's still not communion if we're still getting it wrong because of our attitudes, because of our actions. The church in Corinth, they got it wrong. Divisions were showing up at the table. At the table, you could tell who, were the, who the haves were and who the have-nots were. You could tell who, the, who those that were in were and who those that were out were. Paul has nothing good to say. He says, this is not a place for division. And if we think we're doing it right because technically we get it right or, or scripturally we get it right, but in our hearts we are not experiencing the unity that has to be here, then it's not the Lord's Supper that we take. Paul says that to do that is to despise the church, is to humiliate, hear that, to humiliate other believers. He has nothing good 
to say about that. For the Corinthians and for us, it is very appropriate to go back and remember exactly why we do this. From the very beginning, Jesus taught us that this table is a place to proclaim the gift of God. Verse 23, <clears throat> Paul says, for, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. What Paul taught them about the Lord's Supper is what he had received from Jesus himself. Now, we don't know when that happened. We don't know how that happened. We don't know if, if through a vision or, or you know, that, that Paul had of, of, of Christ, that Christ showed him, because Paul wasn't there. Paul wasn't present at the, at the Last Supper with the disciples. So we don't know if it was through, the, through a vision that Jesus showed him how the Lord's Supper was to be done. We don't know if it was through the teaching of the other apostles. Uh, we don't know how exactly Paul received this. But what Paul's pointing out here is the primacy of it. In other words, what Paul is teaching them is not about his own opinion. It's not about the way he likes to do communion, the way that he wants it done. It's about Christ. It's not about his own spin. It's about connecting to who Jesus is, to what Jesus is doing at this table. He goes on, he says, For why receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we really can't miss what Jesus was doing that night when he ate with his disciples. And we have to remember that the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples was the Passover meal. It was a yearly remembrance of God's deliverance for, of his people. Jesus was celebrating the, the Passover, God's salvation, all the way back to the book of Exodus. That God was going to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt, from deliver them from oppression. And so he told them, I want you to have one final meal together, one final meal in your homes. I want you to go in your homes. You're going to slaughter a lamb. You're going to take some of the blood of the lamb, and you're going to spread it over the doorposts of your house. I want you to eat this meal quickly. I want you, you don't have time to, to make the bread rise. Don't put any yeast in it. I want you to eat the meal quickly. You're going to eat it with your, clo with your coats on. You're going to eat it wearing your robes. You're going to eat it standing up, holding your, holding your, uh, your staffs. You're going to get ready to leave because you've got to get out of town right away. Take that blood, spread it across the doorposts because the angel of death is coming. And when the angel of death sees the blood of the lamb covering your family, when the angel sees blood of the lamb covering your home it will pass over you and you will be saved you will be set free your salvation is coming paul says in verse 26 for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes here at this table we proclaim the lord's death we proclaim salvation we proclaim freedom. We proclaim the blood of the Lamb. We proclaim that moment on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. The work of salvation is complete. We proclaim exactly what it is that unifies us. What it is that binds us together. What it is that makes us one. 
This is no place for division. This is no place for someone to be here and feel like they don't belong. Everyone ought to know that they are welcome. Everyone ought to know that they are a part of this. And so Paul takes us back to the night before Jesus was betrayed. And he reminds us that this table is to be a place where we celebrate the gift that we share. So Paul identifies the problem in Corinth, that there were divisions. And then he takes them back to the Last Supper, and he shows them what communion is really supposed to be about, what the Lord's Supper is really supposed to be all about. And then he offers this corrective for them and, and for us also. He says in verse 27, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. What does that mean in an unworthy manner? Taking it in an unworthy manner. I want, you, I want to be clear about this. That he's not talking about you. He's not talking about your sin. He's not talking about your character. He's not talking about your holiness. He's not talking about how hard you tried this week or that you didn't try at all. He's not talking about you being unworthy, that you're not worthy of the body and the blood of Jesus. It's not about having the right theology. It's not about being sin-free. It's about the manner. It's about the way that you are taking. He goes on and he says in verses 28 and 29, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So what is an unworthy manner? What does he mean to examine yourself? What does he mean to discern the body? The body he's talking about isn't the bread and the juice. The body he's talking about is the church the body of Christ. If you look over into the very next chapter, he starts talking about spiritual gifts. And what does he refer to the church as? The body of Christ. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the church. He's talking about discerning and recognizing that every one of us is a part of Christ. That every one of us is a part of the church. And when he talks about examining yourself, I know this is kind of new for some of you, and, and maybe you've never heard it this way. This is not a redemptive moment. In other words, what I'm saying is you don't store up sins all week and come here to get rid of them, okay? There are people who used to teach that, and that is very, very wrong. And I have heard people say, oh, if you don't take communion that week, then you're not going to get rid of all of those sins that you... No, that's not how forgiveness works. God's grace is there to cover you, just like that, just like that blood was covering the doorpost, or covering the, the house. This is not a redemptive moment. This is a remembrance. You don't come here with your sins and say, I'm going to unload them on the table. I, I hope I make it. I hope I'm not sick. I hope nothing happens to me before Sunday morning. Those sins are gone as, as, as you walk in the grace of God. This is not a redemptive moment. When you come and examine yourself, you're examining your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're examining what are you bringing to this table? Am I bringing any hurt feelings to this table? Am I bringing any anger to this table? Am I bringing division to this table? What are your relationships like? Is there anyone I haven't forgiven? Is there anyone I've forgotten over the course of the past week? 
we are celebrating. We are celebrating that moment when the doors of heaven were thrown open. And if you come, you have to come with that kind of openness. You have to come with that much grace. You have to come with that much forgiveness. There's a passage in the Sermon on the Mount that says nothing at all about the Lord's Supper, and yet it says everything about the Lord's Supper at the same time. And I find myself going back to it over and over again. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Right there in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 25, 20, chapter 5, excuse me, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, so if you are offering your gift on the altar, let me stop for a minute there and you realize that what you offer on the altar is you, right? You're bringing yourself. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that you're to present yourselves as living sacrifices, that you are the sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to Him because this is your spiritual form of worship. This is how you worship Him, by offering yourself as a living sacrifice. So he says in verse 23, so if you are offering your gift on the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We need to seriously consider a big mistake that we make way too often. How can we expect Christ to be present in this moment if we're sitting in judgment on someone else? How can we expect Christ to be here if we're not bringing His grace? if we're not bringing His love? How can we truly experience His grace in this moment if we're not willing to show His grace in this moment? Sometimes it bothers me how we've kind of Americanized communion. You know, and we have our, we have our own little cup. Everybody's got their own little cup. Everybody's got their own little cracker. That little, that little cracker you got in that little cup. And and we, we get our cup and we get our, we get our little cracker and we close our eyes. And it's like, I have my own little Jesus. You know, I, got my, I don't have to worry about you. I don't have to worry about you and your Jesus. I got me and my Jesus. And, and we're going to work this out just between me and Jesus. So it's so easy to bow every head and close every eye and just have my own little time with Jesus. But it's called communion. <laughs> the word means that we have something in common, that we have something that we share, that we have something that we are bringing to this table. It is communion it's about it's about each other no one should ever feel like they're taking communion alone no one should ever feel like they are not a part of the body no one should ever feel like this is just bread or this is just juice everyone should know the presence of Jesus during this time That might mean that instead of sitting there during communion with your head bowed and your eyes closed and having your own little time with, with Jesus, that might mean that instead of sitting there by yourself, just you and Jesus, that might mean that you get up and you go take communion with someone else during this time. That might mean that you get up out of your seat and you go find someone who you know is going through some tough stuff. We have people going through some tough stuff someone who's feeling alone, someone who's feeling very lost, someone who is hurting, 
and that you, in getting up and sitting with that person, you are going to bring the presence of Jesus into that moment. It might mean that you're going to fix a relationship before you expect to find Christ in this moment. There are some people around us who are going through some tough stuff. And i got to tell you, a cracker and some juice is not going to fix it. They're going through some very difficult times, and, and a cracker and some juice is not going to fix it. You know what will fix it? The presence of Jesus. His touch through your touch. That's what communion's about. That's how we take in a worthy manner. So here in just a moment, Alana's going to come. She's going to lead us through a song. And this is more than just a communion song that she's going to lead us through. It's, it's a chance to examine yourself. And, and it's a chance to discern and examine the body. And let me just say, if, if you need to get up and go sit with someone during this time, if there is someone who needs your presence and, and your grace, who you know is, is feeling very alone today, if you need to get up and go sit with someone and take communion with them, that is okay. We, we welcome you to do that. Because in and of itself, this is just bread. This is just juice. You have the ability to bring the presence of Jesus into someone's life as we share this today. Let's pray and then Alana's going to come and lead us in a song. Father, so often we find ourselves with our eyes closed during communion, just examining ourselves, very aware of our own hurts, very aware of our own struggles. And Father, I, I pray that today we discern the body. And we recognize that we are all parts of the body of Christ. Some parts are hurting. Some parts are feeling very alone. Lord, there have been things placed on us that that we can't even share with our, with our family members, our friends. Lord, we just, in this moment, we want to give that back to you. So, Lord, I, I just pray that today we would not, that no one would feel like they're taking communion alone, but that they might know that they're taking communion with others and that in our, in our presence, they might find your presence. Lord, give us the boldness that we need, but also give us the peace that we all need as we each bring the peace of Christ to one another. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for the way that you, that you want us to know you through each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray.